Well, we've started this great new series called All Things New. We got into it last weekend. And the promise of our Creator is that He is determined determined to restore all things, to put all things back in their perfected state, the way that, that God intended them to be in the first place. And this, this is great news. It's also acknowledgement that in the meantime, our planet is hurting. Our, our world is out of order. And this is precisely what the Bible says about our times. And when we feel this need that we spoke of last week to cry out, it's not supposed to be like this, God. That's not actually irreverent. God doesn't say, take that as an accusation against his divinity, you know, like you're doing a poor job. Actually, that's the meta-narrative of the scriptures. It's not supposed to be like this. Life is not supposed to hurt so much. We are out of alignment with our creator and our whole world feels the pang of that. Essentially, people are selfish and we all hurt as a result. But the great Christian hope is God hasn't given up on us. The total opposite is true. He's dedicated, devoted, committed to restoring all things. This includes us, but it goes beyond us. The whole of creation is what God has in mind. Utopia is coming, but it won't come until King Jesus comes to rule and reign as intended. Then there'll be no more tears or pain or suffering. Won't that be a day and a half? I can't wait. I can't wait. And this is the hope that the person who knows Jesus has, that they know that this future restoration is coming. But what that does is it, it fuels them in the present. It rolls its way all back to this very day. See, the differentiator between me and the person beside me in life who doesn't know Jesus is not that my life is easy and their life is difficult. Jesus never promised that. The difference is I live with hope. I know my future. And that hope flows back in today. And that hope is what keeps me going. So God is not waiting, though, for some cosmic green light to go on for this restoration process to start. The moment I accept Jesus as my personal CEO and put him in charge of the direction of my life, God deposits this, this heaven into my heart now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The living God comes to live in me. Now, if you're hearing that for the first time, I know it sounds mysterious. Like, how does God fit in here? Well, I don't quite know. There is some mystery here, but it's more real than my right hand. Let me tell you, this is what happens. God comes to live within the person who invites him in. And I inherit then a new nature, a new identity. But all these dynamic changes that are going on in the invisible realm, they actually require a mind shift for me to enter into the fullness of them and begin enjoying them. I'm adopted into a royal family. We just sung about that. By faith, I am made new. But now I have to learn to think new in order to act new. We, I need to think new. I need to find new patterns of, of cognitive uh, directions in my brain to get in alignment with this. Because Craig Grishel is right. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. This means the life we have right now is a clear reflection of our thoughts. Nobody rises above their thought life. Nobody does. If you're having a great life, it's because you've got great thoughts. If you're living a small life, you've got small thoughts. And so we need to retrain our minds 
and get into alignment with God, get into alignment with, with what he says about us is true. It's that important. It's that important. It's critical for us to accept this invitation to be made new in Christ. It's my thinking that takes me there. I need to get into alignment with the truth of God's word. They're true without my alignment, but when I get into alignment with them, well, that's when life starts to really shift and change. And I'll never fully operate as the person God intended for me with stinking thinking. I need to move to a higher level. I need to to get out of being stuck and a spiritual holding pattern. And I never change though by just hoping for it or even by planning for it. Human effort won't do. I need the power of the word of God to come alive in me through my thought life, through being open to the Holy Spirit and letting him renew me. Here's our key thought for the day. We need to start believing new things in order to behave new things. We need to believe new things in order to behave new things. We're going to go to Colossians 3, which lays this out for us. If you've got a mobile device in the YouVersion app, you can find all of our notes as normal. But I do very much encourage you to open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. And let's read together. Colossians 3 says this from verse 1, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, your real existence, your real identity now, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So, here's what to do in the meantime. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. And you put on a new nature and been renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Verse 11. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. We're not there yet though, hey? So, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, you must forgive others. Above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds it all together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord, and may he add his blessing to it. Newsflash, we only adopt new behavioural systems 
by adopting new belief systems. If you want to change something destructive in your life, don't focus on the behaviour. That's just the surface level. Start with the belief system, the root system that sits underneath that behaviour. If you've got destructive behaviour, you've got a destructive thought life underneath that that's feeding that behaviour. Now someone will say, John, that's Discipleship 101, we already get that. But who knows, it's easy to read a word off a screen and another thing to actually be living it out. We all seem to know that in our society that smoking is not a healthy habit and yet how many people continue on smoking like a chimney regardless of the knowledge that they actually are not helping themselves by indulging in that. There seems to be this huge gap, doesn't there, between our comprehension and our application of what's actually good for us. So to what degree are we truly being made new in Christ? To what degree are our lives really changing? Is the growth in our lives observable to anybody else, to our families even, or are we just stuck? Are we stuck in these same old patterns of behaviour? Are we as impatient as we were last year at this time? Are we still holding that grudge that formed in 2011? And 10 years on, it's still there and we've done nothing about it. Are we any more capable of overcoming temptation now than we were then? Paul informs the Colossians of a secret weapon to personal change. He says, you think your way there. You think your way towards change. You believe new things in order to behave new things. And the only hope of you embracing this new identity that you have in Jesus and being made brand new is by adopting new thoughts. It stood in contrast to what God's people knew up until now. That's why I put the word news flash there. Because in the previous chapter at the end of the final verse of chapter 2 of Colossians, we get their perspective on change and how they were going to be conformed to God's ways. Essentially for them, it was understood as an outside job that worked its way in. The previous chapter says this, the final verse of chapter 2 says, Rules may seem wise, in that they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline. But then Paul shocks the Colossians by saying they provide no hope in conquering a person's evil desires. In other words, you're not going to change by the rules, by the legalistic system. Well, this smacked them in the face. I imagine their jaws dropped when they read this because they've had this deep devotion to this way of life. And here's Paul saying you're wasting your time and your energy. God's not impressed. It's not really helping you much either. Well, talk about... Talk about, you know, hit a double whammy there. The way you guys are doing it is pretty meaningless. I mean, it's terrible news. But then comes Colossians 3. Then comes Colossians 3. If this letter stopped at chapter 2, I mean, it would be depressing. But then comes Colossians 3. Ah, the gift of identity is not gained by human merit. It's gifted by divine grace. You are adopted into God's family and no child gets adopted into a family by their will. They get adopted into a family by the desire of the parent to have the child. So out of his incredible mercy and grace, God chose you. 
God wants you. God desires you to be part of his royal family. Believe that to be true and you'll start behaving differently. Because that belief is dynamic. This was a completely new mode of operation for the Colossians though. As Paul essentially says, believe your way towards change. Get your thought life sorted and your behaviour will follow suit. You're called to operate church from a place of approval. Don't be working for God's approval. I love the way Dave Lomas clarifies this for us. He says, our paradigm as humans is often this, I'm loved because I do. And God's paradigm is completely different. He says, I'm loved. This is when we're in step with the Spirit. This is God's way of thinking. I'm loved, therefore I do. What I do comes out of a place of being loved and accepted by God. So God takes my identity from a place of connectedness, not from my behaviour. As we focus back on Colossians 3, we see this exact paradigm shift that Dave is describing. And there's past tenses here in the scripture we read that describe this. You've already arrived as a son and a daughter of Christ. You're already 10 out of 10 in the eyes of God. You don't have to work for it. He's already approved of you. And so our task really is become who you already are. That's what Colossians 3 is telling us. Become who you already are. And we have these three terms. So I'll start with S in verse 1, 5 and 12. Since, verse 1, you've been raised with Christ. Because that's true of you, then get your gaze right. Put your, put your gaze in a, in a place appropriate for your ancestry. Put your gaze in an appropriate place because you're a person chosen by God. You know, it doesn't start by saying get your act together. It says you've already been made new in Christ, so now set your gaze accordingly in this high position of honour you have in Christ. Let your future hope flood backwards into today. Get your head straight. Become who you already are. Verse 5, so, so, referring back to the previous verse, given you'll be sharing in the glory of Christ when he comes to reign, so... Get rid of your self-centred ways now. Verse 5 says, you're in a royal family, so get rid of sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desire and greed, because quite frankly, they don't fit. They don't fit the new you. They're no longer fitting for a person who's in a royal family. They get given the holy chop. You walk in the light. You've got a new calling. Anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander, dirty language, lies. They're all part of the old you. They don't belong in the new you. And so the message is not clean your act up. And once you kind of hit 9 out of 10, God will help you up that final rung. That's not, the, that's not in view at all here. God's already fallen for you. He's already head over heels in love with you. And because of that, because of your adoption, it's time to pick clothing fit for a royal family. None of that old stuff aligns with a new calling. So become who you already are. Shed that destructive behaviour. And then in verse 12, similar sentiments are said again. Since, since justified by, by, by what's been said, since you've been a good boy, no, since you've been a good girl, no, no, since God chose you, since the Father set his love upon you, become who you already are. 
But all this changing comes out of our being when we see ourselves as kingdom kids. And both inside the church and outside the church in the past decade or so, there's this growing revelation that we are human beings, not human doings. And this has been a timely revelation. It helps us embrace our new identity when it comes to grace. We are not accepted by God by our human merit. It helps distinguish between human performance and value of a person. No one is in this family because of their looks or because of special achievements. Everyone is welcome into this family the same way via the grace of God. And if we could have worked our way up there somehow, he would have never come down to us. But he did come down. Goodness isn't the way to God, then God is the way to goodness. God is the way to goodness. Heaven came down to us to rescue us. And when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I get embraced into the family. Everything true of Jesus now is true of me. How amazing is that grace? How amazing is that grace? The life story of Jesus reinforces this point on screen. Lex spoke to us about this a couple of weeks ago. See, the surprise was not that Jesus got heaven's stamp of approval. The surprise was when he got it. Before he'd done any of his amazing works. Before his obedience, when he fulfilled all of those prophecies. Before his teaching. Before delivering the Sermon on the Mount. Before the healings. Before the miracles. Before healing the blind or raising the dead. Any of those things. Before anything. The Father looked upon him at his baptism and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Before. Beforehand. The element of then being a human being is critical as we understand that our value lies outside of our obedience to God. We're not in some transactional relationship where you did A, B and C, therefore God will do X, Y, Z. No, we're, we're human beings, the pinnacle of God's creation, not machines under performance review and, and the designer is still working out whether he's going to keep us or not. That's not it. That's not it. And so this idea celebrates the idea that we are human beings made in the image of God with value, period. I love that. However, maybe some of us are getting to the point where we've embraced this in excess. You say, Jono, is it possible to embrace truth in excess? Yes, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. That's where most error lies, in taking a truth and running to a point of excess with it. And what would truth in excess look like here? Well, it would look like me saying, well, basically God doesn't care about my doings. He only cares about being connected to me, my being. He, he overlooks all my doing, actually. He just winks at it. He's sweet with no matter what I do because I'm a human being valuable to him, period. And for some of us, we've kind of now adopted a life mission of finding a hammock somewhere in a quiet spot and putting on a song. How sweet it is to be loved by you. Cool song, eh? How sweet it is to be loved by And we think, well, that's the point of life, isn't it? to discover our God-given identity, to find a hammock and put that tune on and kick back and be, be. 
well, careful, we might be talking more about Buddhism than Christianity. God cares about our doings. God cares about our actions. Our whole being is supposed to be coming to submission with Jesus and it does wind up with me doing new things. Absolutely it does. I'm not just content to think nice thoughts. I want to become new in Jesus. And so all of our godly thinking must flow into godly living. I'm going to say this strongly. God expects change. God expects change. Expectation is not overstating it. If the love of God really takes a hold of my heart, it moves me towards change. I want to grow. I want to develop. I don't want to be stuck. I want to be made new in Jesus. I think we're totally missing this perspective if we find ourselves asking questions like this. Well, if I commit this sin or that, will God still take me back afterwards? It's kind of like, huh? Where's that question coming from? What's motivating that? Or can I follow Jesus without going to church? Because I'm kind of busy on the weekends. It's, it's like asking, what's the least I can do and still be okay with God? Like something's profoundly wrong with that level of thinking. Something's way off. It's the equivalent of Ray as he's about to leave work one night, calling his wife and saying, Honey, I really love you and all that, but Susie's just mentioned that her husband's away on a business trip and, you know, she's available tonight. She's available. And just before I go over there and have an affair, I'm just checking. You, you won't be one of those crazy women that throws my belongings out in the front lawn, would you? I mean, I'm just checking. Before I go and flirt around, before I sleep around the neighbourhood, will you take me back after I'm done? Is there anything wrong with that picture? There's plenty wrong with that picture. So why would we apply that level of thinking to God? Why would we prostitute ourselves around thinking in advance, oh, he'll just take us back later? Can't we see we break his heart? When we take that sort of an attitude, why are we so intent on lowballing God and reducing our commitment to Him to the lowest common denominator? You know, planning a few flings along the way and thinking God will be okay. I don't think He's okay. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is grieved. Grieved. Think about the strength of that word. It's like the, the Godhead loses a family member when we turn our back on him and go our own way for a while. He's grieved by that decision. So if we find our headspace here, you know, justifying our bad choices kind of in advance, not saying we won't sin or never make a mistake ever again, but, but, but if we in advance are pre, pre-planning, to do wrong and taking the, the forgiveness of God and abusing it in that way. We're, we're, we're off the mark, a mile off the mark. And we need to look again at the cross and see the broken saviour hanging there who, 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 who went through so much to establish that reconnection between us and the Father. And how dare I, 
How dare I spit upon him by not valuing that? I need to stop long enough to let that picture of a saviour hanging on a cross break my heart. And if I can look upon it, if you can look upon that and feel nothing, then maybe your question's different. Get on your knees and ask God to bring you into his family. Because maybe you're not even born again yet. Maybe you're not even born again. Get on your knees and ask for that connection to be established between you and Father. So that you do get the gravity of the situation. See, seeing our brokenness in his brokenness at the cross is a starting point. But once that's established and we have our forgiveness in Jesus, this inner drive to be made new gets kick-started in my heart and all of this good thinking winds up in good living. I, I let my head be saturated by the biblical truth and I let my heart be flooded with the love of God but then, then, then it must come out in my hands and my feet. It must come out in my conduct, in my behaviours, in my life. Look at the strong language here in verse 5, how demanding it is, how brutal it is, put to death. The sinful earthly desires lurking within you, they're right there. They're right there. They'll come back at any time if we're not careful. But So our attitude is to have nothing to do with that old life. We shake it off for good because verse 9 says we've stripped off the old nature and its wicked deeds and been made new. How ridiculous to put on dirty old clothes when God says you're royalty now. It's kind of like us going and finding our old clothes. We, 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 keep it, we keep it in storage just in case. You know, the old wardrobe is still available to us. We've got some favourites in here and we sort of find a bit of a flat spot in our faith and we, we go back through and we remember the good old days. I remember this. This is my favourite piece of clothing. And we go through, don't we, and we, saw it. We, we, we never really put them to death. We never really discarded them. We, 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 we held on to them just in case. Just in case. And there's even times where we go, well, I, 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 I must go back to this. Thank you for the affirmation. I feel good. Well, I remember this. I remember this. It feels so familiar. Ah, it takes me back. And how silly do we look with a royal calling. And we're getting around with poo-stained clothing. <laughs> God's saying, what are you doing in the rubbish bin, church? You're my royal people. I've put a holy calling on you. What are you, what are you going back through this old garbage for? Trying to find something... To where? I mean, this, this isn't fitting for you anymore. This, 
I've made you new. You, you, don't, you don't wear this stuff anymore. It, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. You're not supposed to dress like this. You have a holy, righteous, royal calling in Jesus. Stop being a bin scab. We're not anywhere near as aggressive enough with our, with our old life as what we need to be. Some of us still flirting. Some of us still mollycoding. Some of us are still hanging on to clothing that doesn't belong in the new calling. And those old desires, they're lurking within us. They're never far away. But God has given me a heavenly calling. And royal folks don't get around looking like this. The queen, the king, the, the prime, prime ruler of a country doesn't come out to a press conference looking like this. This is clothing not fit for a king. You say, Johnny, you're starting to sound like you're preaching good works. Like I've got to do good things to keep God happy. Is that it? Not really. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. If we're going to change... If we're going to be made new in Christ, we are going to make some choices. We are going to put some effort into it. We are going to choose the right thing, not the wrong thing. But Christ has provided us with all the means required to do it from A to Z. My role is to be a willing participant, to get my head out of the bin, to take this clothing off that doesn't suit. Put it all back where it belongs and to put the lid on and get the power drill out and drill that thing shut and then set it on fire. <laughs> Stop playing around in here. There's nothing to be found in there. Put the, get the drill out, put the lid on and burn it. Get rid of it. Get some accountability. Tell someone else, I'm burning this thing. I'm getting rid of it out of my life. I'm not going to keep flirting with my past. Now, I know some of you hear this message and you say, Jono, I'm trying to change. I'm trying to put effort into it, but I'm just stuck with a few things. I can't seem to progress beyond I kind of circle around the same problem I, I can't get beyond it I want to finish with a couple of encouragements for you but first the challenge every week we say there's people available here to pray for you every week we say that now there's nothing special about my prayers or Graham's prayers or Lionel prayers or Joe's prayers or whoever you might come and ask prayer of today. There's actually nothing special about our prayers. But you know what God takes seriously? The fact that you came up and said, I need help. That's where the breakthrough is, is the acknowledgement that I want to change. That's what God takes more seriously than any word said in a prayer. It's the action of humbling yourself. And saying, I'm stuck, I need help. And we all need help. We're all in this together. No one here sits going, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. I've got it all together. No, we've all got a human struggle or two. But don't 
miss the opportunity of prayer, take it. Take that opportunity. A few final words of encouragement to those who are feeling kind of flat and kind of like, I just don't seem to be made new. I don't seem to be able to get rid of some of these old clothing that you refer to, John. It's kind of like they're nailed onto me. I can't get them off. A few encouraging things as I wind to a close. New love is sparked by considering his love. If you feel like your love for God is kind of fading a little, you never deepen your love for God by kind of conjuring up something within you. It's like, I really should love God more. I really should love God more. I really should love God. That's not how you find love for God. You find love for God by looking upon his love at the cross. This is what scripture says. We only love him for one reason. Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. That's how we love him. Because we've seen the depths of his love. And our love then is always a response. We never go first. He went first. We just return the love to him that we've first seen. New love is sparked by considering his love. Each time we see afresh his love as he hangs on an old rugged cross. Saying I love you this much. That's what triggers a love response to God. You'll never love God if you miss that. You'll never love God until you first see his love. His love. Secondly, our new identity is a reality, not a feeling. Some of you are sitting here today going, Joe, it's really lovely what you're saying from Colossians 3, but to be honest, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling new at all. Well, what was missing in Colossians 3 was emotions and saying, don't believe any of this until you feel it. That's not how faith works. Faith always works kind of in advance. It's like you, you take steps of obedience and as you do, emotions catch up. They catch up eventually. But here's what never happens is you are led by emotions and obedience with Christ somehow catches up. Now that's always a deliberate choice, obedience. But as we keep in step with God and his call, what we often find is emotions eventually catch up. We can feel nothing in the moment. And we all go through days or even seasons of feeling very little when it comes to our faith experience. But continue to walk forward anyway. Colossians 3 said nothing about wait until you feel it in order to embrace a new way of thinking, a new way of living. It's you do it and then, and then the months, the years that follow, you'll feel blessed by the choices you make. And as the music team comes and Steve plays the keyboard to make me sound a lot more spiritual than I possibly could be. <laughs> Finally, proximity blindness. Let me say a word about this. Now, about six months ago, I said something about this in a church service here. And so I'm repeating a point, but that's your fault. You voted me back in. <laughs> so here's a repetition for you. We need to 
hear some repetition every now and again, you know. We are, we are prone to forget. A lot of your New Testament will, will say, remind the people of these things. We don't always need to learn new things. We need to be reminded of what's true and have our heart taken back there again. Speaking of Steve, I'll use him as my illustration. You know, the least qualified person to know if Steve is growing and progressing in his walk with Jesus. You know, the least qualified person to know? Steve. Because we don't see growth underneath our own nose. We're too close to it. We never see it. We never see growth that's right there. Have you ever tried watching grass grow? It's a painful experience, isn't it? You sit there and surely this stuff's growing. Well, it is, but we can't see it. Not when we just sit and stare at it. But in a Queensland wet season, you come back two weeks later. Has that grass grown? Well, sure has. You have a jungle on your hands. The grass is growing all right. But you just sit there staring at it and you, you, you'll never, never observe the progress. But come back later and you can see clearly. See, who made you the judge over whether you're progressing or not? When has it ever been our role to decide that? Aren't we ultimately accountable to God? Isn't that his end of the bargain, the business? The progress being made. I think God hides our growth from us to protect us from getting proud. I don't think He wants you to go, Woo, look how far I've come this year. I think He wants to keep our eyes on Him. And when we do that, the growth and the progress takes care of itself. When we get our thinking into alignment with this holy royal calling that we have, we let the Holy Spirit take care of progress and results and what's happening in the trail behind us our life is moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts so why not get our thoughts right why not get our belief system in alignment with Colossians 3 and then let the Holy Spirit do the work of changing us and growing and conforming us into the image. There's a promise he'll do it. He who begun this good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not giving up on you. He just wants you to keep your eyes on him and keep moving forward. You say, but Jonah, well, you won't believe what the mistake I made yesterday. Yesterday, God's not there. God's not there. God's in today. God's in tomorrow. God's in moving forward. God's in learning from a mistake, but not dwelling on it. We move on. We accept His forgiveness. We are made new. Today's a new day. His mercies are fresh. And we're growing and we're changing when our thoughts are in alignment with Him. Would you stand for prayer? Lord, we just can't get over this call that you've put to each of us saying, come into my family. And I just pray right now for anyone who, whose immediate thought to that is, I'm just not worthy. This couldn't apply to me. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come right now and convince them by faith that they are chosen to become a part of this family. And that right now in this moment, they would reach out to you and say, Lord, Lord, take me. And for all of us, Lord, we're saying, Lord, take me. Take all of me. The broken bits, the the areas where we feel like we're failing right now. And make us new. Make us new. Bring us into alignment with you and your ways, your word, your truth. Help us become who we already are. We pray it all for Jesus' sake.